Are your kids feeling anxious? You know, with the coronavirus and the social distancing going on, school counseling, are they reacting with more anxiety? Well, today I want to help by giving you a better understanding of what's happening with their emotions and how you can best support their feelings of fear. See, children's brains work differently than adults. Namely, the prefrontal cortex, or their thinking minds, is not as fully developed and doesn't govern their thoughts, their behaviors, or their emotions quite as well as an adult. But this is also useful because you can use a more creative, non-logical approach that has actually more profound influence on their emotional minds. Now, if that sounds useful to you, then come and learn about kids and anxiety. Hi, I'm Brett, your favorite shrink. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the executive director for a nonprofit, The Gathering of Good People. The Gathering is dedicated to helping you grow emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And today, we're recording our new episode in our series called Anxious. Anxious is all about anxiety and how to deal with our fears, particularly now with the coronavirus and COVID-19. Now, let me start off with a little story. And this is a, a client who, she came in because she was worried about her 10-year-old son who is experiencing a lot of anxiety, particularly now with the COVID-19. Her son had been seeing the news and they were talking about and showing these images of people sick in bed, dying. And he already had fear going on before, but this situation just made it 10 times worse. As I talked with the boy, what became clear is that he was seeing all of these images that came from the news, and then he was transferring those images to his family. He saw a man sick in bed, in a hospital bed with like tubes and machines and mask up on his face, and he took that image and began to see his father or his mom or even his siblings in a hospital bed in a kind of a similar situation. This image was the key. This image was the key to helping him with his anxiety. See, he was using words to express his fears. I'm worried that you, mom or dad, um, are going to get sick. You know, this is what he would say. And both mom and dad would use words to try and reassure him. Oh, it's all well. You know, we're not going to get sick. Everything's going to be fine. Our family's, you know, okay. And then, of course, the little boy would kind of challenge and say, well, how do you know no one's going to get sick? And again, the parents didn't have anything to say. So, uh, as I started talking to the little boy, um, I noticed that these kind of words and reassurances, they, they just weren't working. 
And why they weren't working was because the problem the boy was having was in his head. It was the pictures in his head that was causing the anxiety. And the words he was using just kind of described the picture. But until that picture was removed, the fear wouldn't go anywhere. So what we did next was pretty fun. Because um, we didn't talk with Leo. You remember Leo, the left neocortex? The uh, thinking part of our brain? That's the brain that adults use. And Leo is where all of our words come from. So Leo, the thinking brain, was what the parents were trying to use to help this 10-year-old little boy. But as we said in the very intro, a 10-year-old boy's prefrontal cortex, his thinking Leo rational brain, is just not really working that well. And so using this kind of logic and words was super ineffective. What we needed to do was to tap into Rio, Leo's identical twin brother, the right neocortex. Rio and Leo are twin brothers. If you can imagine a, uh, a brain, we've all seen these pictures. It has two sides to it. And these two different sides have two different functions. Leo, like we said, is logic. But Rio... Rio's the creative mind. Rio uses pictures, not words, to communicate. And this is particularly important because down inside the center of the brain, there's a, a cluster of neurons that are super important. They're called the limbic system. And the limbic system governs your emotions. Now we just call her, I call her Emma, the emotional mind. And she, Emma, is, is where the anxiety is coming from. It's where all of this angst is generated. She's the one producing the fight-or-flight response. But it's, but it's really Rio who is going to be our key player. Because it's Rio that has created this picture. It's Rio, the creative brain, that took the picture from the news and began to imagine it in his mind. So what we did was, first off, I just wanted him to describe the picture. Well, it sounds like you're really worried about your parents. Do you, do you kind of imagine anything happening to them? And then right away he launched into what he had saw and, and how he was imagining it happening in real time to his parents. Imagining seeing his mom in bed or his dad in bed all the tubes and all the machines and this really scary image. Well, as long as that was what he was referring to, Emma is going to get upset. The reason why is because Emma, the emotional mind, she can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy. When you go to the movies or read a book or listen to a radio show or something, it's really easy for us to get ourselves into the characters or to imagine ourselves in these different scenarios. And when we do, for a moment, we feel it. We feel like it's real. We feel like we're falling in love just as the characters are falling in love. 
or we feel super excited about this uh, chase or whatever it may be because we're right there. We're right there watching and a part of it because Emma sees these images and can't tell them apart from what's true and what's not true. So that's fun as we go to the movies, of course, but it's not so fun as this little boy was experiencing when our images start to become contaminated or negative or fearful. So as he described the picture, I, I kind of nodded and listened. And I said, wow, that sounds like that's really scary. Really wanted to validate his feelings first and foremost because his parents are always invalidating his parent his feelings because they're trying to support him. But by validating him, I was, I was not going against them. I was not fighting them. I was just acknowledging them. And I, as I listened and nodded in my head and I said, you know, commented how scary that sounded, I said, well, what happened if we changed that picture? And the little boy looked at me like that was an option he never thought about. And I said, well, you, you first saw that picture on the TV, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at the picture now, is it on the TV or is it in a hospital with you standing there watching them? And he thought about it for a minute and sure enough, he was standing there. He was standing in the hospital room watching his parents or sibling or whoever it was at the moment, you know, in trouble, dying in front of him. And I said, well, that's not really how the picture went, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, let's, let's take the picture and put it back on a TV screen. In fact, let's imagine a special room, a special theater room where we can have this TV and you can be sitting off in a, maybe a comfortable beanbag chair or something. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I can picture that. And so he imagined himself in this quiet room that he had all the control over. He was given a, a remote control and he could change the picture any way we need to. So the first thing we did was we just clicked the stop button and we froze the picture. And then we clicked the off button and had the picture disappear. And then we clicked the on button, had it come back on again. Just to give him a sense of, wow, I can control the picture. Instead, trying to control his emotions, which is what his parents were doing, which he, he didn't know how, but wanted to try and do. We didn't even worry about the emotions. We worried about the controlling the picture. And as, so as we did that, as we started moving him out of, you know, real time, we call it first person point of view, and moving him into more of a third person point of view, and he's watching it on a screen, it became so much more easy to begin to see. And then we started to change the picture. I said, well, what happens if you hit that, that little button on your switcher and you started to shrink the picture? Could you make it smaller on the screen? And he's like, yeah, I can. And we started to shrink the picture down. And I said, well, what happens if we hit this button over here? I'm just kind of imagining the switcher with him. And I said, I bet we could turn the picture upside down. And so he did. He hit the button in his imagination and he imagined the picture 
turning upside down. And every time we made a change, making it smaller, changing it upside down, it felt better and better and better. And I said, well, I bet it's in color right now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in color. What if we made it like black and white? Like, what if we made it like an old movie? You ever seen a really, really old movie where everything's black and white and kind of, yeah, kind of all messed up because it's so old? Yeah, 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 I've seen that. Well, let's take that and let's hit this button right over here and imagine it going black and white. And again, we change the image. As he started to get more control of the image, instantly he started to feel more control of the emotions. And he was getting more, feeling better about the emotions. Because as we messed with the picture itself, it didn't have the same reaction in Emma, the emotional mind. Because Emma was seeing the picture in real time, as if it was really happening, as if this was a real situation. But as we changed it, black and white or whatever we did to it, it became less and less and less real to Emma. And then Emma basically just disengaged. She became kind of indifferent to the picture. And then I said to the boy one more time, I said, well, what if we now just turn the picture off altogether? What do you see? And he said, well, first... The picture just went blank. But then then a cartoon came on, and it so happened to be one of his favorite cartoons, which was awesome. And so he just, just started to describe kind of the, the silly scene that was going on in his children's cartoon. And I said, great. Now what if we practice that? What if we practice hitting a button and it could switch from the old black and white picture that you saw on the news to to your cartoon. And so we tried that a couple times. And each time we tried that, it, you know, again, felt more and more in control. It felt more and more empowering. By the end of the session, as you can already hear and imagine, his anxiety went, we always measure at the beginning, it went from a nine to a one. And he's like, yeah, I feel, I feel fine. And he really didn't need to come back in, particularly on that issue at all. I think he came back one more time to deal with just some general anxiety stuff. But um, that particular issue was now destroyed. Not because we attacked the feelings, but because we attacked the picture. When you're working with kids in anxiety, this is what you need to do. Focus more on what they're seeing that's frightening to them. If you can get them to draw it out, that's great. And then we can take that drawing and we can destroy it, rip it up, tear it up, throw it in the trash. Um, or we can take that drawing and then create another drawing or, or kind of draw on top of it, erase it out. There is no magic in terms of what exactly we want to do with the picture. I happen to do multiple things with a picture. Because some things will work better than others. But as we try different things, it gets usually will get better and better and better. And that's what you're going to do with your kids. Is help them change what they see. So they changes what they feel. 
once they learn this technique, they can do it with anything. Anxiety about school and testing to, to the upset about their friends. So instead of replaying in their mind a hundred times over how their friend was playing with somebody else and that was just breaking their heart, have them change the picture and imagine their friend again playing with them. Creating the picture that they want to have will help them create the feelings they want to have. If you want any extra support or additional resources on our website, thegatheringofgoodpeople.com, I do have a book called Exilier and the Dragon. It's a book written for fearful and anxious children. It basically just teaches them what's called a progressive relaxation technique with a little bit of diaphragmatic breathing thrown in. And it's just a cute story that actually walks the children through a relaxation exercise, helping them again calm. Now, I want you in the, your in the comments here to, to make any comments about how this worked for you or maybe even some concerns that you have. Maybe you're not sure how to do it, so you can ask some more questions. But go into the comment section, ask questions. I'd love to get your feedbacks on what you saw as you started to change the pictures in your kid's head. Again, I'm Brett, your favorite shrink, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of Anxious.